Hey, good morning, One Hope. It is so good to be together again, and thanks for joining us this morning. This morning is our final installment of the Mission Month series, the three weeks that we've been looking at missions. We do this historically in July as we send out mission teams. We just want to focus our attention on saying, Lord, what else are you doing in the world? How are you doing it? So we heard from Francois and Raline from Indonesia. We had Lex just speaking about how the Spirit empowers any and all of this missional work around the world and just looking at what the Spirit has done in the last hundred years. And this morning it gives me great joy to invite Stefan Kern into our pulpit. Stefan, first, I first met him a few years ago when a friend of ours from Mozambique um, phoned and said, hey, there's this guy coming down. They're thinking of moving to Stelly's. Won't you have a coffee with him? So we connected there and we've stayed in touch since then. Um, but he's also a really good friend of a very good friend of many of you. So he's a friend with Scott Marks. His wife, Sharon, worked for Scott for a season. And many of our Zimbabweans know Scott really well. He leads a church in Harare, someone I trust and respect greatly. And um, so Stefan, and that's the connection over there. And then they've been part of our church at home group with Ryan and Natalie leading it on a Sunday morning. And so that's kind of the context of where we know Stefan from. But Stefan and his wife, both Sharon, grew up in missionary homes in Brazil. They've been missionaries in Mozambique for 15 years before they felt the call of God into Stelis where they want to carry on with missional work. So I think they've got a little bit of experience and it would be wonderful for us to just open our hearts to God's word through Stefan this morning and just to hear what he has to say. So let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Father, I want to thank you for your body. I want to thank you for adding new people to our body at, at, at One Hope, as well as all the work you're doing around and in Stellenbosch, Father. We want to ask you, Lord, that as we hear your word this morning, would you stir our hearts for more of your kingdom, stir our hearts for mission, for the, the work that you're doing around the world, for the work that you want to do in our workplace, for the work you want to do on our campus here in Stelis, from Jerusalem and Judea to the ends of the earth, as your Bible, as your word clearly lays out for us. Father, we bless you for this morning. Let your word fall on cert, fertile soil in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, good morning, One Hope. Uh, thanks so much for having me come and share with you this week. Uh, just a very briefly, many of you uh, may not know uh, who this strange man uh, speaking in this uh, interesting accent is, but uh, my name is Stefan Kern. Um, my wife uh, is Sharon. Um, then we have four children, uh, Cohen being our oldest boy, uh, Christian our second, and our daughter Wesley Grace and our youngest daughter Alexandra. Uh, we've actually been doing cross-cultural work for about 15 years now. In 2006 uh, we felt that uh, God was asking us to leave our very comfortable life in America and move to some place. We actually didn't know where that was yet. We felt very much like Abraham. Um, and we actually went to our home church in America, in the state of Kentucky, and approached them and said, where would you like us to serve as an extension of what God is doing through you as a body of believers? And they came back to us after a few months of prayer and said, have you considered Mozambique? We would love to be having, opening a work there. And that led us on a journey in 2006. Uh, to move there, my wife and I with our eldest, Cohen. He was a year old at the time. 
and over the course of the next roughly 15 years, we've been now there in Mozambique, uh, working specifically among unreached people groups um, and doing church planting and Bible translation. Um, our heart though, where my wife and I have felt like God's has equipped us is specifically in the equipping of other people. Equipping of local Africans in the context there in Mozambique to do church planting and Bible translation among unreached people groups. So that's what we've been doing for the last 15 years. Um, and now here recently, just this year, we've been in South Africa now since April of this year. Uh, and we moved here to the Stellenbosch area um, and our heart continues to be in equipping and specifically equipping South Africans who have a heart to reach those nations that have yet to hear God's story. Uh, so we're fairly new here, uh, but we've really enjoyed the interactions we've had with Paul and some of the other leaders um, here at One Hope, and we continue to hope to get to know each and every one of you. So I'm not sure how many of you will be able to relate to going into another country, place that has a very different language than you, as well as a different culture. Well, over the last decade and a half, uh, me and my family, we've been able to experience firsthand what it means to be misunderstood by others and be misunderstood ourselves. Like that time I handed my travel documents to the local police in a predominantly Muslim area with my left hand. You would have thought I was intentionally offending them, which I was in their culture. Or the time I unknowingly became the getaway driver of a home burglary. Talk to me later about that one. Or more recently, upon arriving here in South Africa, I was trying to understand why it was that everybody wanted to sell me donkeys. After just about every interaction, they would end the conversation with a big smile and a buy donkey. No thank you, I prefer to buy chickens. So in our world, we often have encounters with different cultures and we don't always understand each other. Take the time the United Nations conducted a worldwide survey. You know, the only question asked was, would you please give your honest opinion about solutions to the food shortage in the rest of the world? Well, the survey was a huge failure. And the reason it was a huge failure, you know, in Africa, most didn't know what food meant. In Eastern Europe, most didn't know what honest meant. In Western Europe, most didn't know what shortage meant. And in China, most didn't know what opinion meant. In the Middle East, most didn't know what solution meant. And in South America, most didn't know what please meant. And then in the USA, most didn't know what the rest of the world meant. You know, the world is made up of many different cultures. According to most recent estimates, there are approximately 6,000 different language groups and culture groups in the world today. Now hear me when I say this is not referring to geopolitical countries. That number is about 200, depending on whose definition of a country you use. You know, what I'm referring to here is a people group that has its own distinct language 
and culture and how they express themselves. You know, the Bible refers to these groups as ethne. We'll come back to this term a little bit later. You know, throughout Scripture, we see God revealing himself cross-culturally. Scripture doesn't explicitly say why God operated in this way, but in looking at the entire meta-narrative of Scripture, there are some pretty clear clues. Starting out in Genesis 1.28, just after creating the first man and woman, God gave them what we've termed to be now the culture mandate, which is have children, have many children, and then spread out over the earth. Again, with Noah and his children, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 and 7, Remember, God has just destroyed all the people of the world, and now he tells Noah and his sons the same thing. Verse 1, and again in verse 7, have children, have many children, and spread out over the earth. Why is God wanting man, created in his image, to not only have many children, but then go spread out over all the earth? You know, anthropologists have observed an interesting phenomena that happens when a group of people spread out and are no longer interacting with the same people day in and day out. What happens is that over time, their language begins to change and they begin to develop their own sense of identity and culture. We have seen this happen over many hundreds of years in Europe, shaping the languages and cultures that they have there today. And in more recent history, when the British sent colonizers to America, over time, the language and more noticeably, the cultural customs have developed into a unique way of expressing themselves. And even here in South Africa, you've seen similar changes from the Dutch and English culture to the African culture. What I would like to suggest to you this morning was that it was God's design from the very beginning to create many cultures. One of God's attributes that I so admire is the fact that God is a God of variety. It's a part of his character and his nature. He loves variety. And from the beginning, he displayed this variety in his creation. I mean, think about it. The variety of plants, the variety of the trees, the fruits, the animals, stars, even the universes, the variety between man and woman. Then within his image bearer, man, we see even more variety, tall and short, black and white, round face, long face, black eyes, blue eyes. You know, it was through this variety that God's creation could actually attempt to fulfill their one purpose, which is to glorify him. Colossians 1.16 says that all things were created through him and for him. But now, guys, for mankind to worship God in only one way, through a single language, in a single culture, I believe is insufficient. When we worship the Creator through a single expression, 
While that may be the best we can do, it's still incomplete. God, being a God of variety, he desires to be glorified and praised in a variety of ways, through a variety of expressions. That is why I believe God gave the mandate to both Adam and Eve, and then later to Noah and his family, not just to be fruitful and multiply, but also than to fill the earth, literally spread out over the earth. You know, we pick up the story again, God's story in Genesis chapter 11. Since the time of Noah, mankind had been very fruitful and they did multiply, but they didn't spread out over the earth. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 11, it says that the world had one language and a common speech. And it goes on to say, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there, rather than obeying God and filling the earth or spreading out over the earth, they opted to stay in one place, thus preserving their one language and culture. Well, we know God's will and his desires will not be stopped. And what does he do? Well, God being all powerful, he could have chosen to stop the people any way he wanted. But right then and there, he creates multiple languages and cultures. And the result, what do we see? Well, these various nations now spread out over all the earth. You know, from that moment in God's story onward, we see God using the nation of Israel, starting with Abraham and many other individuals, to make him known to all the nations of the world. Genesis 12, verse 1 and 2 states that Abraham was to go from your country, go to another place. I will bless you, and then you will be a blessing. God is requiring of Abraham to leave his culture, go to another culture, and God will bless Abraham. But along with this blessing comes a tremendous responsibility of Abraham being a blessing to other nations. And you know, Abraham is just one example of God using an individual from one culture to cross over into another culture so that they may know the Creator God for the purpose of them giving glory to the one true God. Joseph is another example. God took him from his culture and sent him to a foreign culture. Why? So that God could be worshipped and glorified by the new nation. Daniel, another example, taken as a young man from his culture. He was placed in a strategic location in order for him to be that blessing to the new nation. Philip, great example of the possibility of international student ministries. I mean, think about it, what we could have here in Stellenbosch. Acts 8 narrates the story where God brought a nation, actually, the nation of Ethiopia, to Philip, a Hebrew sharing God's story with an African, cross-cultural. Also in Acts chapter 10, we read the story of Peter and how he went cross-cultural to the home of Cornelius. Paul, another example of cross-cultural missionary, leaving his culture, which was the Jewish or the Hebrew nation, and going to the Gentiles. Why? To take God's story. 
Even Jesus, Jesus himself, a great example of a cross-cultural worker, leaving his culture, which was heaven, in order to come down to another culture, which is the Jewish nation. Why? So that God, the Father, would be glorified. Glorified by all nations. Matthew 24, 14 says this, This gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. The term ethne here. And then the end will come. There we have that word, ethne, again. God is saying that his story will be made known to every nation of the earth, or every ethne, that's every people group, those who have a distinct language and culture, then the end will come. You know, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus commands his followers, which by extension is each of us who claim to follow him. He commands them to go and make disciples of all nations. There we have it again. Make disciples of all ethnes. Remember earlier in this message I talked about how incomplete it is to only worship God through one language and culture? When we read in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the believers, what happens? They begin to speak in other languages. We begin to see here a more complete expression of God being glorified. When there are a variety of expressions in many languages and cultures, giving praise to the Creator God. John, in the book of Revelation, shows us the fulfillment, really, of Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, where God says that all the ethne will hear the gospel. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says that there was a great multitude from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne of God, giving him praise. You know, as followers of God, we know what God's heartbeat is, which is that this message of the gospel will be preached to all the nations, to all the ethne. And Jesus' disciples knew it, and they lived it, regardless of the cost. I mean, listen to what happened to these disciples of Jesus. Peter, he went as a missionary to Rome. What happened to him? He ended up being crucified upside down. Andrew went as a missionary to modern-day Russia. He ended up being crucified in modern-day Turkey, Greece area. Thomas went as a missionary to India, where he eventually was speared. Philip went as a missionary to Northern Africa in Asia Minor. And what happened to him? He was cruelly put to death there. Matthew, missionary to Persia and Ethiopia. And finally in Ethiopia, he was stabbed to death. Bartholomew went as a missionary to India, Armenia. Also Ethiopia and Southern Arabia, where he was martyred. James, missionary to Syria. He was stoned and eventually clubbed to death there. Simon the Zealot, missionary to Persia. He was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias, he was the guy who replaced Judas. 
He was a missionary in Syria. Death by burning. Jude, also missionary in Syria, being martyred there. James recorded his death is actually recorded in Acts chapter 12, where he was killed by Herod. And you know, eyewitnesses of the account in, in, in documents in documents outside of Scripture, but historical nonetheless, they say that his guard was also beheaded with him. John, you know, John's the only one dying a natural death from old age. Um, but nevertheless, we know that he actually survived being put in a pot of boiling oil and ended up being exiled to the island of Patmos. And guys, it's not just those early disciples of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 <coughs> says that it was his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to all. So whose responsibility is it now to take God's story, or as Paul states, take the manifold wisdom of God to all the ethnes, to all the nations? God has chosen as his primary instrument for change in society that it be the church doing this. Ephesians 3, verse 10. Not governments, not businesses, not sport teams, not the United Nations, not NGOs, but his church. That's you and I. So how do you think we're doing? Taking God's story to those nations who've never heard. Remember Matthew 24, 14. This gospel message will be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. Well, we know this indeed happens because of Revelation chapter 7, where there are people from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. You know, in 1806, at a small university, very similar to the makeup of Stellenbosch University, in Williamstown, Massachusetts, five university students were meeting in a field holding a Bible study. And interestingly, they had been meeting on, a camp, on campus at the university, but were receiving quite a bit of pushback from the university because they were using the public university facilities for a religious event. So they ended up meeting on the edge of town in an open field. Well, while they were there, a pretty fierce thunderstorm occurred, and these five students, they sought refuge in a giant haystack out in the field. Seeking shelter within the haystack, they began praying for those nations who had up until this point never had a chance to hear God's story and give Him glory in their own unique culture, cultural and linguistic way. Well, this small prayer gathering of five young people later became known as the Haystack prayer revival. The impact that these five men had on foreign mission mobilization was incredible. One of the greatest impacts resulted in what became known as the student volunteer movement. As a, as a direct result of these five individuals, students across universities in America and Europe, began going out to those people groups who had never heard the gospel message. The world saw an explosion in missionary endeavors during the 1800s as a direct result 
of these five men and the impact they had on university campuses around the world. Then in the late 1800s into the 1900s, the student volunteer movement still going strong. Their influence had a profound impact on the lives of many. A few of those individuals, a guy by the name of William Cameron Townsend, He's an American man while participating in evangelism outreaches in Guatemala toward one of the many indigenous people groups. He was using a Spanish Bible to explain to the people how great and powerful God is. This was when one of the indigenous people came up to him and asked him, if your God is so smart, why doesn't he speak my language? After this interaction, Townsend was moved to launch Wycliffe Bible Translators, whose focus is to translate the Bible in the heart language of the nations of the world where scriptures do not yet exist. His logic, quote, the greatest missionary is the Bible in the mother tongue. It needs no furlough and is never considered a foreigner. Another individual, a guy by the name of Paul Fleming, Romans 15, verse 20, had a very influencing impact on his life. It says this, It has always been my ambition, this is Paul speaking here, but this has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. This led him to found an organization formerly called New Tribes Mission, whose mission statement reads the following, New Tribes Mission's effort shall be directed toward those fields where no missionary effort is being made and where no witness of the gospel has yet reached. You know, shortly after sending out their first missionaries, five men were martyred by the Ayore Nation in Bolivia as peaceful contact was being attempted. 1956, getting closer to us today, there were another five men who were killed attempting to make a peaceful contact with the Alca Nation in Ecuador. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Peter Fleming, Roger Udarian, and Ed McCauley died fulfilling their part of God's command to take his story to those ethne who hadn't yet heard. Their story has since been documented in books, articles, and interviews with surviving family, and most recently through Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, in his continued work among the people group that killed his own father. More recently, a young man by the name of John Chow committed his life to reach the Sentinelese people off the coast of India on an isolated island. This was a people group who has lived in darkness and fear, very similar to the Alcas of Ecuador, spearing anybody who came near their island. Well, in late 2018, as this is just a few years ago, in late 2018, November to be exact, John attempted actually to make peaceful contact with this people group, with the intent to take God's story to yet another nation that had yet to hear about God's story. And as he approached the Sentinelese people on the beach that day, his body pierced by arrows. To this day, the Sentinelese nation continues to live separated from God because they have yet to hear God's story. So here we are. 
the church that God established and then selected to be the ambassadors of his story to all nations. How are we doing? How are we doing at taking his story to those people groups who have yet to hear? You know, take a moment, watch this video. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of His return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C, C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right! The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that 700 billion given to all Christian causes, only 45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well. $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. 
5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all missions money, going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? So what are you going to do to change that? Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 lays it out quite clearly for us. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not yet believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. As we wrap up this month of missions emphasis here at One Hope, our prayer for each of you is to reevaluate your role in taking the gospel message to those people groups who have yet to hear. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us, not just here in Stellenbosch and in the greater Cape Town area, to be a witness for you, to be a light in this dark world. But God, I pray, I pray that through this, these three messages, these three sermons that we've heard over these last three weeks, God, that you might have touched the life of somebody who heard, that they may pivot their life from being someone who has continued to honor you and glorify you here in Stellenbosch area, Lord and might pivot their life to consider a life of cross-cultural work, seeing that that is the heart, that is the heart of who you are. You are a God who reaches cross-culturally. And God, I pray that we may never lose track, never lose sight of those people groups who have yet to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.